Well, good morning to you all. It is uh, great to see you today. Uh, it is good uh, to be together, uh, as always, on a, a Sunday morning. Um, if you have your Bible with you this morning, please open up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we do have a couple of spares down here at the front. There's only, only a couple left, so if anyone would like a Bible to follow along this morning, just uh, go ahead and grab one. Now we have one left, so form an orderly queue. Anybody, anybody need a Bible that hasn't got one who wants this extra one? We'll get it to you. No? Okay. Uh, well, this morning, we come to our 11th and final study in our special uh, summer series dealing with the subject of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so for those of you that have been with us over the course of the summer, uh, you'll have uh, uh, been uh, through uh, all the scripture has to say more or less uh, on this very important subject. Uh, and if you're visiting us uh, this morning uh, and you've not had the benefit of being with us over the last uh, couple of months, uh, this morning is actually a good Sunday to be here because as we are wrapping up uh, this very important subject, uh, we are coming to uh, a very uh, good and important conclusion which really brings everything that we've talked about uh, over the last couple of months together. Uh, and so uh, really we'll be summarizing uh, to, to a degree uh, all that we have talked about over the last couple of months. Uh, now I just want to begin by uh, making uh, an observation that has really uh, been impressed upon my heart over the last couple of months as we studied this important subject. Uh, and that really is a, uh, what I refer to as a big picture lesson um, that has come out of our studies together, and that is concerning the church of Jesus Christ. Um, because as you study through this important subject of spiritual gifts, it becomes uh, very, very clear that the church uh, is not a building uh, the church is not an institution. Uh, the church isn't even a meeting. Uh, the church is a community of born-again believers in Jesus Christ. The church is people. And if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, you are part of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we together form the Church of Jesus Christ. Obviously, here in this congregation, we are just a, a fraction of the wider Church of Jesus Christ that exists uh, within this city, within our nation, and of course, around uh, the world. Uh, and it is a vitally important thing for us to understand that, that the Church of Jesus Christ it is made up of people, people uh, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, have received the forgiveness of sins that he offers because he died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day. Uh, and now we have the Holy Spirit dwelling uh, inside us, enabling us and empowering us uh, to live the life that God has called us to live. Because if we do not understand that, and if we understand church as just an institution or, or just a building, the church is something other than me. It's something that, that is different to me. It's something that I go to. It is something that I look at. It is something that I watch. 
when in reality the church is not just something I go to, the church is something that I am a part of. The church is not something that I simply attend, but the church is something that I actively participate in. Uh, And that is vitally important. Uh, And that is one big picture lesson, I think, uh, that has come out of our studies dealing with this very important subject of uh, spiritual gifts. Now, uh, over the last uh, ten weeks, uh, we've worked our way through two of the main passages that deal with the subject of spiritual gifts. Firstly, in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, and secondly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, and verses uh, 8 through 10. Uh, This morning, we come to uh, the final uh, list uh, of spiritual gifts, um, which is a slightly different list in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Uh, And so Ephesians chapter 4 will bring this study series to a conclusion, and it's a very fitting place uh, to conclude uh, because it's a passage that not only uh, speaks of spiritual gifts, um, but it's a passage that also speaks of the purpose that God has in giving spiritual gifts and how that's vitally important for all of us uh, in the church. Uh, And so I want to read... Uh, our passage this morning as we begin. Uh, And I'm actually going to read a quite lengthy passage here in chapter 4 so we can get the context uh, in our minds and then we'll focus mainly in verse 11 and 12. Uh, But I'm going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 16. So Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, And in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Uh, He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask 
uh, your blessing upon our time together. Father, we uh, recognize this morning that we need uh, your Holy Spirit uh, to be at work amongst us, to open our hearts, uh, that we might understand, uh, to give us those ears that we need to hear what you have to say to us through your word. Uh, And so, Lord, we ask truly, Lord, that you would bless your word to our hearts so that we may be encouraged and strengthened, that we may grow in our knowledge of you, um, and that we may be equipped to do uh, the work that you've called each and every one of us to do. And so, Lord, bless your word to our hearts, we pray, as we give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I read through that passage... Um, There are a couple of themes in those first 16 verses uh, that the Apostle Paul uh, brings to our attention. Uh, The first big theme that he brings uh, in the first six verses is the theme of unity. There is great unity in the church. We are one body. Uh, We have one Lord, one head, who is Christ. Uh, And that, of course, goes all the way back to the one way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So everybody who becomes part of the body of Christ comes the same way. There is only one way. It is only through Jesus that we come to be part of the true church of Jesus, that we come to be part of the family of God, we come to be part of the people of God, that we come into what the Bible refers to as the body of of Christ. Uh, and so there is a great spiritual unity that is based upon our common faith in Jesus Christ, in our one Lord, Jesus Christ. And so there is a great unity. But within that unity, there is also great diversity. And this is a point that we've made over and over again um, over the last uh, 10 weeks. And Paul, again, here in verse 7, he says, uh, Even though we are one body, Uh, and we are all one in Christ, and there is this great unity. Within this unity, there is also diversity, because to each one of us individually, God has given grace. He has given us grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, And so that grace is a grace of enabling, a grace of serving. When we talk about grace, we are talking about what God does and what God gives. And so God has given each one who has come into the body of Christ through faith in Jesus Christ, has given each one of us grace to enable us uh, to do what he calls us to do, to enable us to fulfill our part within the body of Christ, to enable us to serve each other, to enable us to minister to one another. And that then leads into Verse 12, because he talks a little bit about those gifts. Uh, And then he goes on to talk about a second subject, and that is a subject of maturity. And so there is great unity in the church, and it is God's will and purpose that there also be a great maturity in the church. And Paul connects these two things in this passage, unity and maturity. If we are spiritually mature in our faith, we will be more inclined to live practically in unity with one another. Uh, There will be a greater humility uh, in our hearts. Uh, We will recognize our need for one another to a greater degree. And that too brings a greater humility because I can't do it all on my own. 
Uh, I need your help, and you need my help. We need each other's help. Uh, And so within the church of Jesus Christ, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, we are a needy bunch. And if you don't realize how needy you are, then you need to uh, start reading your Bible a little bit more and being a bit uh, more honest and open with yourself and with the Lord and with everybody else. Uh, Because we are all placed into the church and we need each other. Uh, And so as we grow in maturity, we grow in our recognition of that need. uh, And that feeds into the unity uh, that there is uh, as well. And so unity and maturity, they go hand in hand. Uh, You can flip that the other side, incidentally. Actually, immaturity often leads to division. Uh, And immaturity often is the enemy uh, of unity uh, in the church. And oftentimes, a lot of problems in the church come about as a result of immaturity in different situations. Um, And maybe we'll talk about more about that in just a second. Um, But but, but all of that point, I mean, we've got unity, we've got diversity, uh, we've got the purpose here of bringing about maturity. Uh, All of those things are things that Paul talked about in in the passage in Romans, and he talked about it again in the passage in uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, And so so, so none of that is new to us in this um, study series. Uh, But here, particularly as we come to verse 11 in this passage, Paul goes in a slightly different direction to the direction he went in those two previous passages. Uh, Because Paul here now turns his focus for a moment away from the individual believer as such, and he focuses in on some specific gifts that have been given to the church as a whole. And so according to verses 8 through 10, and there's some interesting things in there which we're uh, not going to look at today, but the basic point is, is the gifts that he's talking about in verse 11 are gifts that have been given by the risen and ascended and glorified Christ, and they are given to the church to accomplish a very specific purpose that the Lord has uh, in and through the church. Uh, And so verse 11, he says, He himself, that is the risen, ascended, and glorified Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, it's important that we understand here that there is a distinction um, between the gifts listed here in verse 11 uh, and those listed elsewhere in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because that the gifts listed in those passages, in Romans and in uh, 1 Corinthians, for the most part are gifts bestowed individually uh, upon individual believers. Um, Here we find that these are more like gifted believers that are bestowed upon the church. And so there is a slight difference and, and a distinction there in that what we have here are gifted believers in the context that Paul is talking about that that have been bestowed upon the church by Christ himself for the purpose of establishing uh, and developing uh, the church according to the will and purpose of God. And he mentions five such gifted believers, although I actually think it's four rather than five, but I'll explain that in a minute. Um, But we have apostles, Prophets, and, and those two really are, are linked in Ephesians, and we'll 
talk about that. Then there's evangelists and then there's pastors and teachers and those two are also linked in a slightly different way. Uh, and now the first two of those, um, prophets, apostles and prophets, are also mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, chapter 12, sorry, verse uh, 28. There's another list there um, which kind of mixes gifts from all the other lists in the Bible. And so you can sort of see, throws them all in there. Um, but, uh, but we're going to consider these gifts here now in verse 11. What are they and, uh, and how do they apply to us in the life of the church today? So firstly, we'll take the apostles and the prophets together. We said that they were linked uh, and, and they really are, at least in the New Testament, and we'll explain why. Uh, so firstly, apostles. So, so what is an apostle? Uh, well, the word apostle uh, literally means one who is sent out on a commission to represent the sender. Um, it is a term that was used in regular usage back in uh, the first century uh, of a messenger or what we might call a special envoy or an ambassador uh, who was provided with credentials uh, and thus bore the authority of the one who sent him. Uh, and so we could think of the term very much like uh, an ambassador uh, today, like you have uh, an ambassador uh, of the United Kingdom in Washington, D.C., in America. Uh, and so what's his job? Well, you know, he, has the, he bears the authority of the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, of the government of the United Kingdom, but he's not there to do his own thing. He's there to represent the government of the United Kingdom to the American government and the people of America. Uh, and so he carries the authority that's given to him, and he communicates the messages that are given to him, but he doesn't own any of those, and he doesn't dictate what he does. He simply um, fulfills... Uh, his role uh, of uh, communicating the message that is given to him by the one who has sent him. Uh, and so that's very much what an apostle um, is, uh, or indeed was. And so in the context of the New Testament, uh, the apostles were men who were directly sent and commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. Uh, and they were commissioned to go and preach his word. Jesus spoke to them, gave them the authority, go out and, and, and speak to the world. Don't speak on your own authority, you speak on my authority. Don't speak your own words, you speak my word. You're my ambassador, you're my representative, you're my apostle. Uh, and so, the apostles then uh, were very specific men who were appointed directly by Jesus Christ uh, to fulfill the commission uh, that he gave them and they bore a unique authority in that respect uh, and as we look in the pages of the new testament um, there, there's there's some important elements uh, to that apostolic role uh, firstly these apostles must have been people who had seen uh, the risen christ they were witnesses to the resurrection one of the key uh, central planks of the preaching ministry of the apostles was that they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of jesus christ and that was vital because the resurrection was at the heart of the, the message of the gospel. If Jesus had died and stayed dead, then there is no gospel. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has conquered sin and conquered death. And so the ministry of the apostles was to go around saying, hey, Jesus has conquered the grave. Uh, and so that proves that Jesus is indeed the son of God. He was the promised Messiah of Israel. He is savior. He is Lord. Uh, and the fact that they were eyewitnesses, that they physically saw 
the risen Christ was central to that because people would come back and say, well, why should I believe you? And if they would have said, oh, well, I heard so-and-so say it, who heard it from somebody else, they'd say, oh, well, yeah, you know, rumors, Chinese whispers. But no, the apostles were able to declare boldly, I know that it is true because I have seen it for myself. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And that was vital, absolutely vital. Uh, And so... um, so, so the apostles in that sense then were, were unique. And of course, Jesus appointed 12. Uh, Judas uh, fell and was replaced by Matthias in Acts chapter 1. Uh, but after that, there were no more apostles appointed uh, in that sense. There was no more apostolic succession uh, after those um, people. And so, so those were the apostles. Now, we'll come back to that in just a second. A few words about the prophets then. Uh, we discussed the gift of prophecy last week. Uh, in in a bit of detail. Uh, But a prophet is simply one who speaks forth the word of God in the biblical context. So prophecy isn't about prediction or predicting the future, although at times that has formed an element of prophecy. Uh, Prophecy is speaking forth, speaking forth or proclaiming uh, the word uh, of God. Uh, And in the New Testament, the prophets uh, were men who God used Uh, to speak forth his word. Very simple. Uh, Now, just a couple of notes about the word prophet. Um, We're talking here about what we can refer to as, the many refer to as the office of prophet. Um, And I think that is something that is distinct from the gift of prophecy that is mentioned in uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And I'll explain why. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, the office of prophet uh, was vital in God's will and purpose, of course. There were many prophets in the Old Testament. In fact, going all the way back I mean, to Abraham, um, the men who God spoke to and spoke through uh, to the world. You've got Moses and you go through to um, Samuel and, and David and then, of course, the writing prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, so on and so forth. There were men that God used to speak his word very directly to his people. Uh, and they, they were uh, prophets. They held this sort of authority, this unique authority in which they could say, thus says the Lord, so and so and so. Uh, and then when we come into the New Testament, um, the office of prophet seems to be a, a similar thing. Um, that people uh, that, that God had called to, to speak his word. Now, what's interesting in the New Testament is the primary people that God called and sent out to speak his word are not called prophets. They're called apostles uh, in the New Testament. And that's an interesting difference and an interesting uh, distinction. And there are some who think apostles and prophets together are referring to two functions of the same people. Uh, and that, that is possible. I don't think it's necessary to to understand it that way, and I'm not sure that that's the right way to understand it necessarily. Um, But there's certainly a lot of overlap um, between uh, the two. But the New Testament doesn't say a great deal specifically about individual prophets. Um, We read a lot about the individual uh, apostles. But we do know uh, from a couple of general statements, particularly here in the book of Ephesians, that the prophets served alongside the apostles to accomplish at least two things. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we're told that the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation uh, of the church. Ephesians 2, 20. 
Speaking of the church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Uh, And so the ministry of the apostles and prophets in declaring forth the word of God became the foundational ministry of the church. So if you look at it in terms of a foundation, you have Jesus Christ, who is the foundation. Jesus commissioned uh, the apostles and alongside them the prophets came and they proclaimed the word of Jesus, forming the foundation. And everybody else is building on top of that foundation. Uh, And so there was a foundational ministry which we today are building on. There is no other foundation. Uh, One of the dangers is is people start trying to build different foundations and say, hey, come and build on my foundation. The answer is no, no, no. There's there's only one foundation. It's Jesus Christ uh, and his apostles and prophets upon which we are building. And so there was that foundational element to the ministry of the apostles and prophets. And secondly, um, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, there was a revelatory aspect to their ministry, speaking forth uh, the word of God that had never previously before been spoken. Ephesians 3, 5 and 6, we read of... um, Something which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now being revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Uh, And so, really alongside the laying of the foundation of the church, part of that foundation was the, the revelation and the teaching and the truth that in, under the new covenant, the uh, Jews and the Gentiles would come together in one body in Christ. Uh, and that truth was something that was never previously revealed, but was revealed by God at that time through his holy apostles and uh, prophets. Uh, and so, we have the apostles and the prophets that we see in the New Testament. So the question that arises for us today, and many people ask this question, is do we have apostles and prophets today? Are there apostles and prophets uh, today, or should there be apostles and prophets operating uh, in the church today? And if we are talking about the primary sense in the context in which we've just spoken of, I I would answer no to that question. Um, I don't believe there's anybody today who has the same authority um, to lay the foundation of the church and to speak forth new revelation from God that the apostles and prophets did Um, in uh, that time, in the biblical time. Because essentially what the prophets, apostles and prophets were doing was writing our New Testament, basically. Uh, And nobody's writing the New Testament today. And so the foundation has already been laid. So there isn't another foundation. Um, And so the ministry of the apostles and prophets in the primary sense, as spoken of here, uh, I believe um, was unique uh, to that time with specific uh, individuals their authority and ministry was unique and uh, and that um, uh, ended when the foundation of the church was laid uh, and the full body of truth uh, was uh, revealed uh, and as i mentioned before they, they the, the church never sought to appoint successors to the apostles to bring even more new revelation um, as soon as the apostles died out um, the first thing they did was, okay, first question, well, what did the apostles teach? What did the apostles say? And so it wasn't, we need to find new apostles, um, because the, the apostles' teaching had already been taught and revealed. Uh, and so, um, an important point there, of course, is that doesn't mean that the ministry of the apostles and prophets is not relevant today. On the contrary, 
um, we have the apostles' teaching today in the form of the New Testament. And so the ministry of the apostles and prophets speaks to us today in every bit of the same way and every bit as powerfully as it did to the church all the way back then. It is the same word of God that is speaking to us today that they spoke uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, and ministered to the church back in those days. Uh, And so in the primary sense then, I, I do not believe that there are apostles and prophets who bear that same authority to, to lay Uh, the church foundation and to bring new revelation uh, of God and his will and purpose uh, into the church. In fact, I think if people claim to do that, I think that's a a big problem. And oftentimes um, those kinds of claims are are abused. And uh, I'll mention that in just a second. But I do want to say that there is, I believe, a secondary sense in which we do see these ministries active today. And I think in this secondary sense, I think these ministries are important um, as well. Now, I I mentioned before the word apostle, it simply means one who is sent. So one who is sent out. Uh, And the apostles, uh, practically speaking, they they went out and they proclaimed the truth. And another part of their ministry was to uh, establish churches, to plant churches. They they, they traveled to new areas, particularly where the gospel had not been, uh, and they preached the gospel there in all the cities, and they established churches, uh, and they established leaders in those churches. Uh, And that was a big part of the apostolic uh, ministry. Uh, And I think today there are definitely uh, those who who are sent out to do a similar thing. Uh, They're sent out to take the gospel to uh, different places uh, and to establish churches. Um, and, and I think that is something that happens today and it's happened throughout history and it's something that's very important. Now, we usually call those people missionaries. Uh, we don't normally call them apostles. Um, a, an example of such a person, one of my favorite biographies to read is that of Hudson Taylor. I'm sure some of you have read Hudson Taylor's biography. He was a, a missionary to China, the first great missionary to China. And uh, in the unlikeliest of circumstances, he somehow managed to, to get to China and um, in a massive step of faith with no money and didn't know the language and he, and he learnt the language and, 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 and over a period of his lifetime there were tens of thousands of people who came uh, to faith in Jesus Christ and thousands of churches were planted an entire sort of missionary organisation which was then the China Inland Mission was established uh, and, and you could look at the ministry of Hudson Taylor and think well that's kind of like an apostolic ministry in the sense he, he went to all these different places he took the gospel to places where the gospel had never been and people got saved and he established churches and, and so on uh, and there are many people who've done that throughout history and we need people doing that today uh, and in a sense we, we could look at that and say well, it's kind of like an an apostolic ministry um, but I, we don't normally call it that and, and I think it's I think it's it's a good thing because um, I, I think when we use terms apostle and prophet what people often tend to do if somebody comes and says hi, hi I'm apostle so and so all of a sudden people are thinking oh you know we got James John Peter and apostle so and so and all of a sudden uh, people start thinking of placing this guy on the same level as the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and so on and so forth. Uh, and this is where this can often get abused, in the sense, because some people will set themselves up and they will claim that authority. Hey, yes, Peter said this, but I'm saying this. And I am the Apostle who has been commissioned by God. And I am telling you this, so you must obey. Uh, and that, that is sort of like a very dangerous thing. 
um, when that happens. And the same is true of the prophets. Remember, prophet in general is someone who speaks forth the word of God. And there are those today who God uh, particularly commissions to, to proclaim the word of God, uh, particularly to his people. I mean, we live in a day and age in which the church, um, by and large in this country, doesn't really know what it believes. I mean, you've got ministers in churches that don't believe in the virgin birth, that deny the gospel, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and, and there's all sorts going on. Uh, and, and, and we need the Lord to raise up people to proclaim uh, the truth, uh, the truth of God's word, the apostolic uh, teaching uh, on these uh, important uh, things. And I think that, that there is, as we looked at last week, a, a valid uh, gift of prophecy, uh, which the church needs, uh, people that the Lord raises up to really uh, speak forth his word to particular people or to particular groups or so on and so forth in, in, a, in a powerful way. Um, But again, you know, if I turned around and called myself Prophet Steve, then all of a sudden you're kind of thinking, ooh, this is a guy who's got like a hotline to God. So, so Steve, what's God saying? You know, and I'll just, I'll just ring him up and, you know, and you've seen these guys on TV, haven't you? I mean, you know, if if you watch, uh, don't, don't bother, but, but if you've seen it, you know, somebody's like talking and they're like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, Yes, Lord. Uh, what was it? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't quite catch that. Can you say that again? Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's just like nonsense, right? Nonsense. And so, so the, the, you know, so, so the, the terms apostle and prophet, I think that there are valid sort of what we can view as apostolic ministries and prophetic ministries today. And I think those ministries subject to the authority of scripture uh, are good and, and in fact important in the church. But, but I, I would, I don't think it's a wise thing to use those as titles, in that sense, because I think it, 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 uh, it is open to abuse and kind of wants to equate uh, individuals, normally self-appointed individuals, um, with the same kind of authority as the apostles and prophets we see in the New Testament, which, which they do not have. And so that would be the caution um, on that. And so to summarize all that, then the apostles and prophets in the primary sense that we see in the New Testament, and I think Paul's talking about here in Ephesians, um, that, that that ministry was a unique ministry uh, to, to the generation following Jesus of those whom Jesus specifically appointed uh, and gave a unique authority. They cannot be replaced. There are no witnesses, eyewitnesses to the resurrection today. Um, and, I mean, that, that's enough to sort of disqualify everybody who's living today uh, from, that, from that ministry. Um, but, um, uh, but there is a secondary sense in which this sort of apostolic ministry that we may call missionaries of, of church planting and taking the gospel to new places is valid. And we do need prophetic voices in the church speaking forth the word of God, uh, particularly a timely word that the church needs to hear at particular times and particular places. Um, and so that's the apostles uh, and the prophets. So the evangelist is the next one on the list. The evangelist. Now, I'll just say this. We need evangelists. The church in general needs evangelists. We as Calvary Chapel here, we need evangelists. Now, what is an evangelist? Uh, well, an evangelist comes from, uh, comes from a, a Greek word which simply means uh, to speak forth the good news. The good news about Jesus. That Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death and Jesus is Lord. And you can conquer sin and death too uh, with him if you put your faith and trust uh, in him. Uh, and there are people who God uniquely and specifically gifts Um, in this particular ministry of proclaiming the good news of the gospel uh, to people, and oftentimes to people who've never heard it particularly. Now, not everybody is an evangelist in this sense in the church. We're not all evangelists. 
in this sense uh, here in the church this morning. I think that's important to understand because there are some people, you know, who, you know, oftentimes I think this can be sort of over, overdone and people, you know, often kind of think, oh, well, if I'm not sort of, you know, out preaching on the street corner or I'm not out doing this or doing that, then, you know, then, then I'm, I'm failing and, and I'm a bad Christian. And then other people would say, oh, yes, you, you don't, you don't evangelize enough and so on and so forth. And then, you know, I can, but um, not everybody is called to be an evangelist. Not everybody is called to go stand on the pre- street corners and preach the gospel. Not everybody is called to like a public sort of ministry of the proclamation of the gospel. What we are called to do, all of us as believers, is to bear witness to Christ. Uh, and so we're all called to live out our Christian lives uh, in our families, you know, in our, in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our workplaces, you know, at university, at school or wherever. Uh, and through the living out the Christian life, God always opens doors of opportunity to bear witness. There are always questions that people ask. Uh, and we are all called to be prepared to give answers to the questions that people ask and to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. And so we are all called to be witnesses and God has given us all the power, uh, given us the Holy Spirit and has given us the ability and the power to do it. And we have access to the boldness that we need because we all need boldness in these things to bear witness uh, as the Lord gives us opportunity to do so. Uh, And that is something I think that it's clearly something that that is for all of us, you know, and and it's a regular, uh, even daily thing. Um, But over and above that, there are those who are gifted evangelists, who are gifted in this specific ministry uh, of, of intentional public proclamation um, of the gospel. An example of this in um, uh, the book of Acts, in fact, I think there's only one guy in the book of Acts who's called an evangelist, and that was Philip, Philip the evangelist. In Acts chapter 8, he took the gospel to Samaria and he proclaimed uh, the gospel uh, to the Samaritans in, the, in Samaria. Later on, uh, we see him again in the book of Acts, and he's referred to as Philip the Evangelist. And it's interesting, why, why was Philip called the Evangelist um, as opposed to everything else? And Because what he did, in, in some ways, was very similar to what the apostles did, but he wasn't an apostle, so they called him an Evangelist. And, um, and so, um, so but, but we need people who, who are gifted evangelists evangelizing. And that's kind of the point. And uh, I think there are many people in the church who are really evangelists and they have that desire, and but, but, but they've not sort of been kind of released into that evangelistic ministry. And they're, they're sitting on the gift. And the potential is there. Uh, and we need, just like any other gift of the Spirit, we need the evangelists to be evangelizing, to be looking for those opportunities. Uh, And even amongst us, you know, as a church here, um, it's always a good question. Who are the evangelists amongst us? You know, I I believe God has given us evangelists. And so it's always good. Who are the evangelists and what are they doing? Um, And I don't know if I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you collectively. I don't know if I'm speaking to you individually here. But I I would ask, I mean, you know, is is this what's resonating with you? You might be thinking, oh, I don't know what to do. Or, or I, I don't have any time, I'm busy, you know, work, and so on and so forth. Well, I tell you what, the, the Lord can take care of busyness, and he can provide time, and he can sort things out. 
And so one of the dangers, I think, today, particularly in the world that we live, we're just bombarded with constant things all the time. You just think, oh, I have no time to think or do anything ever. <sighs> and maybe some of those things need to go. But the Lord can make a way if you're willing to step out in faith. And it'll be a way, if God's called you to be an evangelist, he will enable you and give you the opportunities to, to fulfill that ministry. Uh, and so, you know, so, so I, I would say, if there's any of you here this morning and you, you think that, that this is what God has for you, this is the call of God on your life, then, then let us know. Um, because that's an exciting thing to pray about and see what the Lord will do. And there's always opportunities when you step out in faith that never existed before you took the step. You always look and you just think, well, there's just no way. But then you take the step and all of a sudden everything opens up. So the evangelists, we need gifted evangelists in the church today. We need gifted evangelists in our church. Um, and it's a vital ministry. So then finally, then the pastors and teachers, and this is where we kind of begin to wrap it up here. Pastors and teachers. And these are the, the two that we're probably more familiar with, and, and for good reason, because every church has pastors and teachers. And um, the word pastor uh, is the Greek word, translation of the Greek word for shepherd. And so a pastor is a shepherd, uh, the shepherd of a flock. Uh, and so, 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 so the, the people uh, of the church are viewed as the flock, uh, and the leaders, if you like, are the, the shepherds. Uh, and so, so this shepherd and flock metaphor is a common metaphor both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, for uh, God and his people. Um, in the New Testament, incidentally, the word pastor is used sort of interchangeably with the word elder and the word bishop. Uh, and they, they're all three terms, English words, um, uh, generally used interchangeably, and so they, they, they refer to the same, uh, the same basic function in the church. I mean, pastor speaks of the um, the, 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 the sort of the specific role um, that the, the, the leader is to do there to shepherd we'll talk about that uh, elder speaks of the spiritual maturity of the person uh, and bishop is the word overseer uh, which refers to the responsibility to, to oversee and take responsibility for the flock uh, and so, so some churches don't use the term pastor they just refer to elders uh, others use the term pastor and just refer to pastors some have pastors and elders. Um, and uh, we have a strange thing where, where bishops, typically in most kind of um, uh, more structured churches, tend, you tend to have bishops um, it's sort of like in a more elevated position. And the bishop is sort of up here and everybody else is down there. And, um, and that's sort of how it's evolved in, in some ways. But, but I don't, I don't, you, don't, you don't see that in, in the New Testament. And... Um, and sometimes terminology, people mean different things by using different words, and so I don't want to get into all of that. But just to say, sort of bishop, elder, pastor, as they use in the New Testament, they're, they're, they use sort of interchangeably, and they refer to different aspects, really, of the same ministry. Um, and what we can summarize as the, as the leaders in the church, they're elders, pastors, um, overseers, in that sense. So anyway, so getting into the, 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 the pastor um, then, the pastor and the flock, the shepherd and the flock, uh, it, it's an appropriate metaphor because sheep um, are helpless uh, and timid. 
And sheep need to be provided for. They, needed to be, they need to be protected. They need to be fed. They need to be cared for. Uh, and we as God's people are in constant need of God's provision, God's protection, his, his care. Uh, and so ultimately, God is the shepherd. David declared, obviously, Psalm 23, right? the Lord is my shepherd. So, so God, God himself ultimately is the shepherd and we are the sheep uh, in the metaphor. Uh, and in First Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. Um, but the chief shepherd there has divided his flock uh, into many smaller flocks. Uh, and the Holy Spirit has raised up overseers, pastors, shepherds, elders to oversee those smaller flocks. Uh, and so what we have is we have many what we would refer to as churches, which isn't the best term really to use in this sense, many gatherings of the church, many congregations, many local uh, fellowships. Uh, and each of those local fellowships has uh, or should have pastors or elders or overseers functioning um, in that uh, capacity. Uh, and, and I would point out as well, this isn't something that is a self-appointed thing. Uh, or indeed an office that anybody can fulfill, um, it's made clear here that what Christ has given to the church are gifted individuals. Uh, and so you can call somebody a pastor, give him the title, uh, and give him the job description, and give him, but it doesn't make him a pastor. If he's not gifted, if he's not a gifted pastor, he's not a pastor, whatever his job title says and whatever his function um, is. Uh, and so, um, so pastors are not self-appointed. They, they are raised up and gifted by the Lord. And what the church does then is the church recognizes uh, that gifting uh, and that raising up of the Lord. Uh, and, and, and that's an important uh, part. So, so what does a pastor do? And what pastor and teacher, I said, I should say actually, pastor and teacher kind of go together. There are many people who believe actually that it should be, understood as, as one person who is a pastor teacher and, and and certainly pastors must be teachers now we've, there's also a gift of teaching which I don't think is exclusive to pastors so if that's confusing then uh, you can think about that for a second uh, but, um, uh, but, but w- whether it's a pastor teacher one person or whether it's a pastor and a teacher two people there is a gift of teaching anyway, which I think is separate from this. But the pastor must also be a teacher. And um, we'll explain that now. So what, what is the responsibility of a shepherd? What is the responsibility of a, a pastor that God has given? Um, well, there are two great responsibilities. One is sort of positive in one sense and one is negative. Um, the, the, positive is, the positive side of it is this responsibility of the shepherd to feed the sheep. What happens if a shepherd doesn't feed the sheep? The sheep will die. It will get malnourished. It will get weak. It won't be able to do anything. It will be ineffective in being a sheep, whatever sheep do. And eventually it will waste away. And so the most important task of the shepherd is to feed the sheep. Not only just to keep them alive, but so that they would be be healthy. And and they would be strong uh, sheep. Uh, and so the pastor has to feed the sheep. Uh, and, and what do you feed sheep? Well, well, whatever you feed real sheep, I don't know. 
I'm not a farmer. But what do you feed sheep in the church? Well, the answer is very clear in Scripture. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus declared, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 1 Peter 2, 2, Desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. And so, just like sheep need food physically, to be healthy and strong so we as Christians we need our spiritual food to be healthy and strong and it is the word of God that is our spiritual food so that is how we grow spiritually Uh, that is how we become strong spiritually Um, and and we need to grow we need to be strong do we not need to be strong spiritually in the world today I mean goodness me I mean just everything that goes on in our personal lives is hard enough and then you've got the world in which we live and Things are kind of crazy. I mean, we need we, we can't afford to be weak Christians in the world today. We can't afford to be weak. We need to be strong. And we need to be feeding on the word of God. And so teaching the word of God is really, I think, the primary um, responsibility of the pastor, to feed uh, the sheep. And that brings us to teaching then, in, in that sense. And we did a whole study on this a few weeks ago, and you can look it up on the, the website. Uh, if you want to uh, look at it in more detail. But uh, the word teaching, uh, to teach in, in the New Testament, it always refers to teaching the scriptures. Um, and so the person who is the, the, the teacher is a person who possesses um, you know, the spiritual gift or is divinely gifted in that sense with a special ability to, to understand and interpret and apply uh, biblical truth to the church. Uh, and one through whom the Holy Spirit uh, does his work. Uh, and so, so it, it's more than just imparting information. It is communicating spiritual truth. It is more than just imparting information that you learn something in here. It's about changing the heart in here. Uh, and so God uses teachers to bring his word by his spirit right into our hearts to, to challenge us, Uh, to instruct us, to teach us, to change us. Uh, And so it's not just an information communication thing. It is a real sort of spiritual encounter with God Almighty himself through his word, by his spirit. Uh, And so the the teaching ministry, and that's why sort of pastor and teacher, they really go hand in hand. And if you look at the qualifications actually for uh, leaders in the church, pastors, elders, bishops, um, all the qualifications in First uh, Timothy chapter uh, 3 and Titus chapter 1, they're all character qualifications, character qualifications. Um, but the one sort of practical gift is teaching. If, you, if you're going to be an elder or a leader in the church, you have to be able to teach. Uh, and Titus defines that in, in chapter 1 and verse 9 as uh, being able to communicate what is true and being able to contradict what is false. And so a pastor has to know the word of God. They have to know the scriptures and have the ability to communicate that and explain that as the Holy Spirit uh, enables. And that's a, a central part, primary part of the ministry of the pastor. So, so feeding the sheep, what does a pastor do? He feeds the sheep. But secondly, this is the more negative side. The pastor, the shepherd has to protect the sheep. Protect the sheep. In Acts chapter 20, Paul was speaking to the elders in Ephesus, and he said this uh, before he left them. He said, 
After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. So it's not just enough for the pastor to feed the sheep. The fat pastor must watch, must be watchful. Why? Must watch out for the wolves that want to come into the flock to devour the sheep. And so the pastor has the responsibility, or the pastors have the responsibility to protect the sheep from the wolves. Now, sometimes that's a, a challenge because wolves often comes in sheep's clothing. They pretend to be sheep. They look like sheep. They sound like sheep. But really, they have uh, motivations. Um, and those motivations are aligned with false doctrine. Uh, and so the wolves really... They can come in many forms. I mean, the key thing that the Bible talks about is that of false teaching, false doctrine, and thus causing division within the church, so in the seeds of false doctrine. There could also be other types of wolves who come in for all sorts of reasons. Um, but their reasons are not pure and they're not clean and they don't love the Lord. They don't want to worship the Lord. They don't want to be part of encouraging and edifying God's people, but they have self-centered motives. Uh, they want to divide. They want to conquer. They want to devour, so on and so forth. And, and the pastors have the responsibility of, uh, of protecting the sheep and warning the sheep against uh, those kinds of uh, things. And those dangers, they can come from outside the church, uh, particularly with the proliferation of media and internet and social media. You know, social false teachers come into all of our lives. Uh, if you follow you know, any kind of Twitter feed or you Google anything. Uh, and so you've got to be very, very careful. But Danger can come from inside as well. In that passage, Paul said there are those who will speak perverse things and they will draw away the disciples after themselves. Uh, and so we've got to be vigilant on the watch. Feed the sheep and protect uh, the sheep are the two key planks, really, of the ministry of uh, the pastor. Uh, and so to summarize all of that then, we have the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Primary ministry of the apostles and prophets was to lay the foundation of the church, which they did, and their ministry sort of is perpetuated sort of to us in the pages of the New Testament, and so everything that we do is uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets today. Uh, and then what God does is he gifts evangelists to go out and preach the gospel so that people can get saved, uh, and then pastors and teachers so that once they get saved, they can be brought into churches and that they can be fed and they can be built up and grow strong and they can be protected from the enemy and those who would come in and, and devour them. Uh, and so they, they all combine then in that manner, in verse 12, for, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying uh, of the body of Christ. And so my closing point here is simply this. God wants a church that is united. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith. God wants a church that is like Christ, Christ-like, uh, and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And God wants a church that is mature, so that, verse 14, we're not like children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, but that we would speak the truth in love. And if we are going to be mature, as God's will and purpose is, um, the word of God is foundational. The evangelists called to preach the gospel, people get saved, we come into the church, the pastors and teachers have the responsibility 
of equipping the saints. And notice why, so that the saints can do the work of ministry. Uh, And so if the goal is maturity, if the goal is building up the body of Christ, the saints, uh, and we're not talking about dead people who've been dead a hundred years and who kind of apparently performed a miracle and then the Pope agreed and that kind of thing. And that that doesn't make a person a saint. I often say if if you have to wait till you're dead to become a saint, then you've waited too long. (laughs) Way too long. A saint is simply a holy one. And none of us are holy. Jesus is the holy one. And the only way any of us become holy in the sight of God is through faith in Christ with his holiness being given to us. And we all need that holiness and righteousness before we die. Uh, because that's what salvation is. That's what forgiveness is. Uh, and so when the Bible talks about saints, it's talking about every born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we all have a responsibility to minister to one another. And that is why God has given spiritual gifts, to enable us to effectively minister to one another. And part of our role as church leaders is, is to encourage and enable that to take place to an increasingly greater degree. Because the more we minister to each other, the more the church is built up, the more uh, we're all encouraged and edified. And so the question in all of this then is, is where do we all fit individually uh, into this? We all have a part to play. The Bible says we all have a gift. Maybe more than one. The question is, is, is what is that? And what are you doing with it? And you may sit there and think, well, I, I don't know, actually. I don't know. Uh, and and, and, and that, that's okay. Um Oftentimes, um, you know, such gifts, are, uh, I mean, they, they, they often start with a desire in the heart. I mean, that would be the first thing. I say, well, what, what's your desire? What do you want to do? You know, you read through the scriptures and you read all these things. I mean, what, what is it that really resonates with you that you want to do? And then look for opportunities and step out. I mean, if there's any of these things and you think, you know, I, I feel gifted in this, but I feel like I have no opportunity. Come talk to us. And we will pray and look and do what we can to make the opportunity. We can't make opportunities that we don't know exist. Don't, you know. So you might be like, oh, I think I'm an evangelist. But we don't really have a big evangelistic ministry. Well, maybe we don't because you're the evangelist and you're not doing anything. And maybe when you actually come forward and say you're the evangelist, then the Lord will open the door and we'll have a big evangelistic ministry. Uh, and so, so this is all of us. This is part of us. We're one family. We're one body in Christ. And the more we embrace this and we more commit ourselves fully to the Lord and to one another, uh, the better uh, things will be in that sense for everybody. The more we will grow, the more we will build up, and ultimately the more um, the Lord will be uh, glorified. Uh, And so, there we go. That brings us to the end of our series on spiritual gifts. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask your blessing, uh, Lord, of your word uh, to each and every one of our hearts. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would just make it very clear to us uh, what it is that you, uh, Lord, have called us uh, to do, the part that we have to play in the body, how we can be an encouragement and a blessing to others. Lord, we know that is the purpose of all these things, that we may be a blessing to others and so bring glory to you. Uh, So, Father, uh, Lord, we ask by your spirit that you would give us the strength and the boldness, the courage that we need Uh, Lord, to step out in faith in these areas. Uh, And Lord, we give you thanks and praise this morning because we can even talk about these things and 
Lord, that we can even be used uh, by you to accomplish your purposes. And Lord, it just seems so strange in some ways that, that you as the God of all creation uh, would work in and through, Lord, someone like me. And Lord, but you've chosen the foolish things of this world, the weak things. Lord, so that we know that it's not us, but it's you that's working in and through us. And so that you get the glory. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your empowering and your enabling. And above all, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us in and through Christ. We thank you that he died for our sins and that he rose again and was buried the third day. And we thank you that through faith in him, Lord, we have received complete forgiveness, not because of our good works, because as good as they could be, they could never take away our sin. But we thank you that what we could never do, you have done for us, that you have provided for us. And so we give you thanks and praise this morning. Ask that you would use us, Lord, both, Lord, in the church and outside for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.